This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. While numerous cities in North America are trying to court Amazon for its next HQ2, the city of Toronto is starting to build out uh, in a partnership with an arm of Alphabet, the parent company of Google. The idea is to turn an area of the waterfront into a new neighborhood, as well as a center for innovation that can make Toronto one of the hubs of this in North America. To discuss this plan, we are joined by Billy Fleming, who's research coordinator in the School of Design here at the University of Pennsylvania, where his specialty is city and regional planning. And we'll be joined in a minute by Pamela Robinson, who is associate dean and associate professor in the School of Urban and Regional Planning at Ryerson University in Toronto, Canada. Billy, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I guess when you hear this move by Toronto, what's your general reaction? I, I think for for that project and even for Amazon's, there should be an equal measure of excitement and uh, terror, right? Because yeah. the excitement should be that for a lot of these places, especially Toronto, right, this is an opportunity to you know reignite and to jumpstart a local economy and to bring all kinds of new jobs and hopefully affordable housing and all kinds of other improvements and in infrastructure to a city that both needs it and probably wouldn't be able to get it without that big outside investment. Um, the you know the downside or the risk is always that you do all of that, you bring all of these new investments into a city and you displace all the people who were there before, or you make life harder for them in other ways. And so for Toronto, for wherever Amazon's headquarters winds up, uh, figuring out how to balance that excitement and that terror is going to be really important for city officials, for the for the company officials, for everybody yeah. who lives in those places. Well, the regional part of it, I think, is 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 a key ingredient to bring up in the fact that this is not just the city of Toronto doing this. Mm-hmm. This is the province of Ontario. It is the country as well. I mean, when they held the the, the news conference, you had officials from all three uh, parts of the government there. Uh, so it truly is, and, and this can speak to you know types of projects that are done all over the uh, all over North America, all over the world. Mm-hmm. That it has to be a multifaceted approach in order to get the right type of, of change necessary for a particular city. Yeah, I mean, one of the best things about uh, the, you know a new headquarters like the one Google is building in Toronto or like Amazon will build elsewhere in North America is that even for the cities that don't win them, going after them forces them to work together in ways that they never would otherwise, right? That right. big carrot of all the money and investment that would come from those from those companies puts people together in rooms and on projects that would otherwise never work together for all kinds of reasons that have to do with the way municipal and regional and national governments are structured in both of those countries. Uh, Pamela Robinson now joins us uh, from Ryerson University uh, based in Toronto. Pamela, thank you for your time today. Thank you for asking me to join you. Thank you. So uh, just give us your reaction to, uh, to the announcement the other day. Which one, the Google one or the Amazon one? Well, the Google one to, to start with. Well, Google has Toronto all abuzz about the collaboration between Waterfront Toronto and Sidewalk Labs. Um, it's It's been quite amazing, actually, to see how excited the community of urbanists is about the potential for this development to be here. And slowly over the last 10 days, what we've started to see is that people are starting to ask good, hard questions, I think, about what the opportunities are, but also what things we need to pay attention to. Okay, and now take us apart uh, on the uh, on the Amazon piece to it. Well, so the Amazon one is, you know, it's an entirely different beast from where I sit. I mean, Google bid on an RFP to participate in a big development project in our city, and Amazon turned that around. They invited people to bid, and a consortium yeah. of Toronto-based municipalities decided to submit towards the Amazon one. So it's an interesting contrast. 
Well, when you look at the city of Toronto, and, and Billy was just mentioning this as well, the needs of having these types of projects in the city of Toronto right now, how important is it for the local economy? Well, Toronto is considered, you know, one of the top five tech clusters in North America. So, I mean, our economy is in good shape, but I think like other big kind of urban agglomerations across North America, we're always looking towards the future. We're looking towards securing a solid economic base and also towards growing. So, you know, the Google project is a significant investment in our city. And I think if Amazon chose to come here, I think people would be surprised. But, you know, clearly it brings a huge foundation of, of economic development, but also new employment opportunities for, for graduates from technology and STEM companies. So right. I think it, it's considered an important regional effort in part because we want to secure those jobs because they're high paying um, and they could help transform a region. But if, if memory serves me we, with, uh, with the, the Google project, you're talking about an area where there are existing companies that are in that area to begin with. So to a degree, those companies are going to be relocated or the, you know, the, uh, the government is working with them so that they are not hindered by this move. In the Google project, it's part of a larger waterfront redevelopment project. Yep. So um, I think what we have is some movement, but also an investment in a landscape that has the potential to host significantly more people for living, but also people for working. This is something, Billy, that we've seen to a degree here in the United States as well. When you think about what has been developed here in Philadelphia at the Navy Yard, mm -hmm. the Brooklyn Navy Yard, maybe it, it, water is kind of the key ingredient mm -hmm. in, in a lot of these projects. But it, it's the understanding that you can take something that was great at one period of time in, in our history, maybe lost some of its luster, but can come back. To, to be something phenomenal in the years to come. Yeah, it, there's been a resurgence in waterfront redevelopment over the last 20, 30 years in North America and Europe, and for lots of good reasons, right? One is that, you know, deindustrialization in a lot of those places has left that land vacant or underused. Uh, and there are all kinds of, you know, legacy problems to having built industry along the waterfront that you have to deal with when you redevelop them. But also, when people make it to that water's edge, whether it's here in Philly or in Toronto or New York or wherever, uh, you're, you're struck by the incredible amenity that it provides to a city, right, to be able to engage with a waterfront either for recreational purposes or, you know, for living and working. Uh, it's an incredibly valuable aesthetic landscape, and, you know, that's why so many cities have poured so many resources into redeveloping them uh, and why you've seen the demand for that kind of redevelopment all over the country, all over the world, just spike over the last 10 or 20 years. But what are the key elements that, that, like, say, the city of Toronto is thinking about that they have to think about when they are laying out these ideas of what they want to do with the waterfront? Yeah, so uh, for Toronto, they're, they're, well, for Toronto, um, you know, it's probably going to be a little bit different than a place like Philadelphia, right? Because here, a lot of the concerns are about remediation. Like, how do you make the land habitable and usable for people? Right. Um, Toronto probably has some of those, but not to the same extent. I I think often what you're worried about is how you connect whatever that new development is to the existing neighborhoods. In, and I mean connect in lots of ways. There are infrastructural connections you have to make so that people can get to and from wherever they live and work. Because not everyone's going to live and work in that new redeveloped area, yeah. even if you have a, a balance of housing and jobs there. Um, and the other is to connect those new people um, to the communities that you know predate them in those places. One of the big problems are, are, you know, eternal conflicts in waterfront redevelopment projects, and especially in tech cities like Toronto, is that you do have this huge divide between the tech community of workers and people who might live and work in a place like a waterfront redevelopment uh, and the rest of the city who might be on the blue-collar job side uh, and in a place like Philadelphia where they're incredibly – we have the highest, you know, poverty rate of the 10 largest cities in the U.S. And oftentimes that, you know, impact or that 
uh, revitalization isn't shared. And so thinking about ways to use a waterfront redevelopment as an excuse to get equity right within the rest of the city uh, is incredibly important in these places. Pamela? I think I'll add, Billy, that was a great list. Um, some other preoccupations I think that I'll add here, one of the most preeminent ones is that the housing mix has to include significant and meaningful contributions to affordable housing. Um, the cost of housing in Toronto continues to grow, um, and there's real concern, and this came out in discussions about the Amazon bid, too, that we can't allow whatever new growth and change comes to further exacerbate the challenges that people have finding good quality places to live that are affordable. So the housing accessibility piece is key, and that's been a thread that Waterfront Toronto has been has run through all of their development processes long predating the arrival of Sidewalk Toronto here. The, um, Waterfront Toronto as a developer is a really thoughtful, interesting constellation of people from our federal, provincial, and local government. And they've had a deep commitment to sustainability from the minute they open their doors. And that's not just ecological sustainability, but also making sure that the benefits of the waterfront revitalization are as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. Has there been, Pamela, a, a resurgence of people in, in Toronto wanting to live downtown like we've seen in a variety of, of cities here in the U.S.? Absolutely. And I don't think our downtown... Um, it, it didn't decline in the same way that many American cities did. We right. have St. Lawrence Market, for example, which is right in the heart of our downtown, which is a well-established, affordable, mixed-use housing neighborhood um, where most of the buildings are 8 to 10 stories high. There's beautiful public spaces. There's a large market. Um, so we've had a history of people, and not just young people, but families living downtown for a long time. And increasingly, more and more people, including people with children, want to live downtown. And now we're seeing people who are empty nesters also wanting to move downtown because the quality of life is so good. The challenge is, of course, if people are going to move to smaller spaces, right. they need amazing public space and amazing cultural amenities and things to do to help balance out the smaller space with their life outside their, where they live. But you still mentioned the, the need for affordable housing, because obviously there's a concern in some cities that if you're moving downtown, uh, the, the, the options for affordable are, are not there in a lot of places. Absolutely. And so Toronto, as I mentioned before, has a good history with St. Lawrence Market to look at. We've got other people um, from our community housing and affordable housing sectors trying to find new creative ways to actually make affordable housing happen. We actually have a national affordable housing strategy that's being discussed in Canada right now, but it continues to be a challenge here. I mean, we talk about the need for it. Everyone's aware of it. But here, like elsewhere, it's harder to deliver than it is to talk about. You mentioned uh, a second ago something I think that's, that's interesting and, and important as well. The housing part of it is obviously a key ingredient, but having stuff around the housing, whether it be parks, you know, places for families to take their kids, you know, restaurants, whatever it might be. There, there are other components to this development that I think in many cases uh, the, the average citizen doesn't necessarily include in it. How important are those pieces to what is potentially? potentially going to be happening on the waterfront in the years to come in Toronto? It's fundamental. I mean, I think the lesson that we learned from looking at European cities is that people have smaller private spaces because the quality of the public spaces or the, the spaces that they can access outside their houses are better. And so, you know, in North America, we've seen the privatization of all kinds of things. Like people used to go to the municipal swimming pool, and now people have pools in their backyard. We used to go to the movie theaters. Now everyone has a home theater in their basement. So if we want people to live in smaller units in, in higher density, what we have to do is make sure that they have space to do the other things they want to do outside their houses, from going to great restaurants to enjoying time outside to being able to access things like the theater um, or movies or other cultural events. 
So the 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 build out of uh, along the waterfront, how long will that take? I mean, obviously, you're talking about a, a number of years to be able to get everything that uh, is planned to be in place. I don't know what Sidewalk Toronto's timeline is. I mean, they've committed to a planning process that will take a year. I haven't seen the numbers in terms of, of how long they think it'll take it to get going. Billy, maybe best guess? I mean, I think if you look at some of the other models for waterfront redevelopment projects like this, you could probably expect them to break ground, you know, two to three years after that planning work is done. Um, I don't know Canada's system of project delivery as well as I do other places. Um, And you could maybe expect people to be in towards the end of that timeline and maybe a full build out in in like five to seven year time range. Well, and I think it's important to note that Waterfront Toronto, this isn't their first site that they've been developing. I mean, they've been working on waterfront redevelopment since 2002. And so there's plenty of development that's already underway. So this would just be another piece of an ongoing series of developments. They've made significant investments in really amazing public space on the waterfront. Um, Through the Pan Am Games, we um, built a whole whole series of, of new housing developments at the mouth of the John River where it meets Lake Ontario. So there's momentum already underway down there as well. So, I mean, when you think about these two poten- these projects uh, in combination, I, I mean, you're talking about an un- un- unbelievable potential, Pamela. You know, if you think out a couple of years down the line, obviously the waterfront project, but if, if Amazon were to come there as well, I mean, you've hit two home runs basically in the span of a few months. That would be amazing. And then maybe the Leafs would win the Stanley Cup too. And we'd all <laughs> just pack it up and go home. <laughs> how, how realistic do you think it is, Billy, that, that a, a city can plan for having two such massive potential wins? I mean, it doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. And and to be honest, I'm pretty skeptical that any city can do a very good job of planning for the Amazon headquarters alone, right? Right. It's hard to think of a a precedent for dropping 50,000 people, and especially like high-paid tech workers, uh, into a city the way that Amazon's going to do, you know, in the next few years. you know, top, putting that on top of Google's project in Toronto to me just seems like uh, I don't even know how it would work. I don't know where the housing supply would come from. I don't right. know where the infrastructure capacity would come from. I think it's why they're, you know, if we, when we look at the way that uh, when we tried to suss out in the RFP uh, from Amazon, you know, where they might be looking and you, you went through all the list of requirements. Uh, it seemed pretty clear to us that they were going to wind up in a city that, you know, is a post-industrial place, probably somewhere on the east coast of the U.S. because all of that capacity exists in place there, right? If you look at like a at a Philly or a Baltimore or even, you know, like a Cleveland or a Detroit, there is room for those kinds of things to happen there and to be yeah. manageable in a way that it's not in a New York or a Boston um, or even, you know, a Dallas. I think one of the interesting things about Toronto's approach to the Amazon bid is that it is quite spread out. And it's really important to note that it's not just the city of Toronto, but it's a series of regional municipalities combined with Toronto. So it looks like the Toronto region, but the distribution of where the Amazon investments would go is quite spread out in the greater Toronto-Hamilton area. So, I mean, the capacity would have to be absorbed by more than one municipality. But I agree. I mean, if wherever Amazon goes, it's going to land with a very, very big bang. But it's similar to uh, to doing the waterfront redevelopment project uh, as well, Pamela, and the fact that it not only takes the municipalities, but you need the entire uh, the province of uh, of Ontario, you need the the, uh, the the country government as well to be able to put uh, their backing behind this to be able to bring this uh, potentially to this area. It's 
It is a little bit different. I don't want to get too policy wonkish about this, right. but Waterfront Toronto is an already existing redevelopment organization that has the federal government, the province of Ontario, and the city of Toronto together, and the jurisdiction for the waterfront redevelopment is inside one municipality. The Amazon bid has the federal government, the provincial government, upper tier and lower tier municipal governments all combined. So it's, it is a bit different. It's probably not that interesting to your listeners, but there are right. some pretty different governance implications of both bids. But it, it does bring to issue some of the things, as we were talking before, we've seen here in Philadelphia and we've seen in other cities, New York, that have been doing these redevelopment projects in that you have to think on a variety of different levels to be able to get some of these things done. A lot, a lot of things that happened uh, here in Philadelphia with the waterfront certainly were on you know, the city of Philadelphia, but there were elements of the state as well that were included in this. And also, to a degree, the federal government, considering it was a Navy yard yeah. for many years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that is the good thing about project or proposals like this from Amazon, is that it forces cities to work across domains of expertise in a way they might not normally, and to force, you know, intergovernmental cooperation in a way that you wouldn't regularly see. So being able to, you know, to tie a waterfront redevelopment corporation to a city, to a county, to an MSA, to a state, to a federal government in right. a way that is really hard to do without the big carrot of the potential of Amazon relocating in your city. Uh, that incentive-driven model, right, it replicated in all kinds of other federal programs, too, where there is a tiny pot of money for that, you know, 100 cities might apply for. And right. even if you don't get it, you still get the benefit of having built those bridges between domains and levels of government uh, that will pay dividends on other things in the future. Billy Fleming of the University of Pennsylvania joining us here in studio. Pamela Robinson of Ryerson University in Toronto. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, and we'll bring it up in the show that way. Uh, at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Because the, of the waterfront project, Pamela, how much... How much uh, of the Toronto economy does involve shipping, and how much does that get impacted by this project moving forward? Oh, you've asked me a question I don't have the answer to. I'm sorry. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But I, I asked it because it's, it's just seemingly, uh, you know, a, an area of, uh, of, of redevelopment that you're talking about, an economic issue that, uh, that could come into play. But that being said, though, the, the planning part of it, how long have they been, been working on this particular piece of it in order to get it to the point where you had the press conference the other day? Well, the... The Waterfront Corporation has had a waterfront plan since um, early after 2000. So when they yeah. first came together, they built a plan that covered the entire waterfront. And so this is one piece in a whole sequence of waterfront plans. And if you look at the, the re response to um, proposals that Sidewalk Labs submitted, you'll see that they speak to two other parcels of land that are quite close to the one that they're proposing to develop. And so this work's been underway for, for 15 years now. 844-942-7866. If you'd like to join in with your comments, uh, 844-942-7866. In terms of the growth of, uh, of the Toronto economy right now, how has it been tracking in the last few years, Pamela, and, and the other pieces that they have been trying to add as well to build up this economy to where it can be considered you know, a potential home for Amazon? Well, I think the fact that Toronto made it on the top five Forbes list suggests that people are taking Toronto seriously um, as a new tech cluster. I mean, Toronto has, in the Canadian side, has been a strong leader. But I think the fact that we're on this list signals that we're ready to play ball in a serious North American way. 
this ends up becoming a. It really does throw it, Billy. In, I'll t- take Philadelphia as, a, as an example. The role that the local government has to play in terms of its thought process, forward thinking, in order to be able to look at property that may have been inactive for quite some time and be able to think, okay, this is an area where we can develop this and we can bring something that can be phenomenal for our city. Yeah, this is where being in a school of design is really fun and exciting, right? Because you can throw a a question like that to designers and they can come up with all kinds of creative and innovative things that make you rethink the way that land is used in your city. Some of it's crazy and gets tossed out, but oftentimes a lot of it comes through and becomes the basis for which, you know, an RFP like this can come together. And you also, in addition to finding that land that's underused or underutilized for the headquarters itself, it also forces you to think about the way that you manage the growth of your city going forward in a way that you might not have otherwise. Because, you know, when that Amazon headquarters gets plunked down wherever it gets plunked down, uh, there's going to be a lot of housing development that goes in there to put all of their workers, whether it's to house them or the people that they've displaced. And then that gives the city, you know, the charge or the challenge then to think about how they upzone other portions of the city to take on new population and to ease the housing, you know, affordability question or pressure uh, that's been such a problem in places like New York and Boston and San Francisco. It's why it's, you know, very unlikely to me, I think, that Amazon winds up in a place like one of those three cities yeah. and is much more likely to wind up in a place like Philly where there is a lot of available housing and a lot of room to develop new housing. Uh, the challenge for city governments is going to be thinking about how to use really boring tools like zoning, right, to guide yeah. that growth in ways that ease that pressure on housing affordability. Which I, I guess, Pamela, is, is to a degree why you focus on the point where you're thinking about uh, potentially with Amazon, it being a multiple municipality type of approach where it, you're not just looking at what the housing numbers are in Toronto, but you're looking at the, uh, the, the suburbs as well as, as options for housing also. Absolutely. And our mayor and the bid team were very clear on their intent to spread the impact of Amazon around, in part because the capacity varies, but also in part because the access to land varies. I mean, our some of our suburbs used to just be bedroom communities, and now they're revitalizing by making downtowns. For example, Mississauga and Markham are two places that will have pieces of Amazon buildings, but they're, they've gone from being one form of living to something entirely different. And so what's come with that is a significant investment in new building and new housing, and not just single-family homes, but also more intense forms of housing, and a regional transportation network that's, you know, been 12 years in the planning and, and we're on the implementation side as well. And so I, when I read the Amazon bid, I was really struck by how carefully they tried to spread the pieces around in a thoughtful way that made sense for the kinds of connectivity issues that Billy spoke about earlier, and also that made sense for our region as a whole. But, but there also is uh, currently an Amazon presence in Toronto as well, correct? Yes. And with web services, I believe? That's my understanding. Yeah, I I don't I haven't had any point of contact with them, but that's my understanding. Right. And and I was wondering if there is conversation up there, if they believe that having that already as a piece to the community, if they believe that that is a is a selling point potentially for this uh, for this potential project. I don't know. I haven't heard that in the discussions that that have been public about this, and I wasn't directly involved in the bid. Right. Billy Fleming from the University of Pennsylvania joining us. Pamela Robinson from Ryerson University in Toronto joining us as well. Your comments, welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I find it interesting when you think, not necessarily about Toronto, but a city like Detroit, which obviously has gone through unbelievable economic strife in the last decade or so, and is trying to build itself back up. Yet it's a city that doesn't have a true public transportation system. And that fact alone 
probably knocks them out of any discussion of even thinking about ha- having Amazon. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really hard to imagine it winding up there for that reason and for workforce reasons, right? Like, yeah. I think Amazon was very careful to think about the way that their impact could be spread across a region. But I think they're also realistic that they can't go somewhere and recreate a, work- a workforce in ways that they sort of did in Seattle, right, where they have to they have to bring a bunch of people with them. They're, there's always going to be that churn of bringing new people in wherever they wind up in this second headquarters. Yeah. But, you know, for them, I think they want to relocate somewhere where they don't have to do that to the extent that they're doing in Seattle now and that they would have to do in a place like Detroit. But the other piece to it is is that and when we think about wherever this HQ2 is going to go, I think a lot of people are saying, "Okay, great, we've got it, have it, it'll be up and running in a year, no problem, bing, bang, bang, here we go. That's not the case. This is a a multi-year program that that has to be put in by Amazon in terms of developing the property wherever it is, you know, having the resources that they need, having the housing for the people. I mean, this is not any way, shape or form an overnight process. No, it's extraordinarily complex. It's going to take, you know, if we say five years from now, Amazon is up and running in a city with their, you know, maybe half their 50,000 employees. It's going to take the city government and the county or the state government Years after that to catch up on building the infrastructure they need to accommodate all of those new people, building the new housing stock they need to accommodate those new people and all the other people who will come to that city because, you know, of all the spillover effects that Amazon will bring. It's going to be a generational challenge for wherever Amazon winds up. It's not going to be a thing that you can tie a bow on in five or six years and say, like, yeah. Amazon is here. Everything is great. Let's move on to the next project. But even, even Pamela, if Amazon doesn't come to Toronto, let's just throw, you know, put that in the, in the supposition for a second. What, what's being done on the waterfront will build out a lot of great housing and will build out the potential of a lot of great business in the future to attract other companies to Toronto. Absolutely. I think one of the most exciting pieces about Sidewalk Choosing Toronto is that because they're trying to do something that hasn't been done anywhere else before, I mean, the smart city precinct that they're planning is the, will be the biggest one in North America when it's built out. Right. The process of building it will be a process of learning for our city, for our civil society groups, and for our tech sector. And so by engaging in it, there will be many good economic benefits and I think social and environmental benefits that will come as well. How important do you think that piece of the development, the build out and and that, that future neighborhood that they could be building here in Toronto could play out in other cities, whether it be in Canada, whether they be here in the United States, other places. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly important. I mean, you know, in addition to the development itself being a catalyst for all kinds of, you know, growth and reductions in inequality and all the other things that good urban development can do. It becomes the anchor point around which all kinds of other new developments can arise. Right. right. It's very easy to imagine whether Amazon goes to Toronto or not, that all kinds of other employers will follow suit once Sidewalk Labs is up and running there. Yeah. Because they're going to, one, a lot of the work will have been done for them on the planning side, on the infrastructure side, on, on the you know workforce development side. Um, but also because they'll recognize that you know there are all kinds of benefits to them as an employer from being located in a place where workforces can be shared, where infrastructure can be shared, where all kinds of ideas can be shared. It's why you see these places cluster in the way that they cluster all over the world. Pamela? And one of the interesting things, I think, about a thread that runs through both of these bids is that one of the precursors to even catching the attention of these big companies is that you have to have good city planning at your basis before they'll even look at you. And so for Billy and I, who both teach planning students and design students, I think this is going to change the conversation about how much we invest in good quality planning and good quality public spaces and infrastructure, because those are now precursors to solid economic development. Which which is something I wanted to bring up anyway, and to Billy, to you, is that when you think about the investment that a city has to put into this on a variety of different levels, 
what is the expectation of a city? And it's, this may be hard to 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 surmise this because this Amazon HQ2 is such an, a new idea. But you're talking about billions of dollars of investment that Amazon will put in. The city's putting it in as well. So, you know, what is the expectation of getting that investment back? Well, I mean, I think if you when we get a look at all the bids that came into Amazon, if if we ever do, like uh, you'll see some funny math I think put together to sure, make that yeah, case, right? right? That's part of how economic development works in these places, right? Um, but I think it's it, depending on what these cities are giving away to Amazon to lure them to to develop where they're developing. Um, it's really easy to imagine that there'll be all kinds of direct costs that are easy to measure and direct benefits that are easy to measure, and that will probably get you close to even. It's yeah. all the indirect costs and benefits that are really important in a, in a project like this. Where you know you could imagine Philadelphia with Amazon up and running in five or six years, and a constellation of other tech and and health and other you know industries relocating here as a result, uh, and not being necessarily tied to that original RFP to lure Amazon to Philadelphia, but yeah. unquestionably being an impact of that you know relocation to our city. Pamela, I would think there's somewhat of an expectation maybe going around within the government of that type of information. If you get an Amazon HQ, HQ2 to come to Toronto. Well, I think what's interesting is that the mayor of Toronto, when he spoke about our bid, was very clear that we weren't trying to give away a ton of money to lure them here. What we were trying to do is say we have the workforce capacity. And one of the, I think, the unique things about the Toronto piece is that, um, with the bid for the headquarters, is that we have agreed to open up a significant number of new seats in higher education to train the kind of people who need to do this kind of work. And right. it's an interesting, it's a different kind of worm to put on the hook, I think. Um, and it's not just about tax incentives, but it's about saying we actually have the capacity because we have a public education system up here. Our universities are paid for by our provincial government. We can make the seats and make this happen. And I would say that's that's the really interesting thing about the model that Toronto used, right, where the city put, or the Waterfront Redevelopment Court put out the RFP and then asked people to come to them where they have a lot of leverage then, right, and who and what the terms are of whatever agreement is reached. For Amazon, I think uh, they recognized they didn't want to be on that side of the bargaining table, right? They wanted to right. be the ones that set the terms. And I think there will be lots of cities that followed Toronto's uh, path and are really smart about the way that they pitch their you know viability or attractiveness to Amazon. And the thing that I think worries a lot of people and worries me uh, is that there'll be other cities who want to give want to you know give away the farm sure. to, to lure yeah. them there, and it won't matter you know how great your workforce is, it won't matter how great all of these other things are that should be attractive to a company if they're getting you know billions of dollars in tax incentives and credits and other things. Great having you both with us, Pamela. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. Great seeing you again. Thanks, Thanks for coming in, Billy Fleming from here at the University of Pennsylvania, Pamela Robinson from Ryerson University in Toronto. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.